Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. What impact will the outcome of the election have on abortion? How does the fight to protect life move forward post-election? Here to talk about that is Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Chicago-based Pro-Life Action League. Eric, before we get to all that, let's discuss Judge Amy Coney Barrett's elevation to the Supreme Court. Does this mean, as the pro-abortion left argues, that the days of Roe versus Wade are numbered? Well, I hope they're right about that, but I don't think they are. It's going to take still uh, many years for us to, uh, to fight to have Roe versus Wade overturned. Uh, critical to that effort will be a court case coming before the court that will be convincing to the justices that they should revisit not only Roe versus Wade, but probably more importantly, the Casey versus Planned Parenthood ruling written by Sandra Day O'Connor that establishes the undue burden test, which was so much at issue in the uh, June versus medical Sur- June Medical Services v- versus uh, Russo case, uh, in which uh, the Supreme Court upheld um, a previous ruling in Texas that uh, struck down a measure requiring physicians to have admitting privileges at local hospitals. John Roberts famously sided with the liberals on the court there, but redirected that ruling such that um, the undue burden test remains in in place rather than a sort of balancing act test that the uh, previous Texas case had tried to establish. It's all very complicated stuff, but I think, you know, without going too much into the details, it illustrates that the overturning of Roe versus Wade is not just a simple matter of the court, you know, scratching its head one day and saying, hey, let's overturn some old uh, court cases. What do you say? I mean, it's going to be a case coming before the Supreme Court that is substantial enough for them to seriously consider whether to revisit Casey or Roe versus Wade and then see where we go from there. That battle still is going to take many years, and it may never come to pass that Roe versus Wade is overturned. From my perspective as a pro-life activist, I'm really more interested in, in some more practical results from that appointment, in particular the effect that it might have on the civil rights of pro-life activists. In fact, we had a lawsuit before the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, a panel that Amy Coney Barrett actually sat on, challenging Chicago's bubble zone law. Our case was dismissed because of a prior precedent of the Supreme Court called Hill versus Colorado that uh, the appellate court was not able to overturn on their own. That's not their job. They apply rather than overturn Supreme Court precedents. Barrett and the panel seemed to be very sympathetic to our arguments, and that case was actually brought up several times during her hearings to illustrate that she is impartial and doesn't simply rule on her you know, personal whimsy or, or personal convictions, but it applies the law. So that's an issue that may again return to the Supreme Court, and we may see the possibility of overturning some of these restrictions on pro-lifers, like the Chicago bubble zone that we were challenging in that Price v. Chicago case uh, before Barrett's court. Also, you know, restrictions on late-term abortion. Uh, maybe we can revisit the issue of admitting privileges for physicians or other standards that abortion facilities would have to maintain, which would make it harder for them to do business, which is what we want and lead to a decline in abortion rates and speed the day when we can actually bring the American people along with us in this effort to to overturn abortion. I think way more is made of the Roe versus Wade issue than uh, is really warranted. It's really those uh, state measures that tear down the abortion infrastructure and the rights of pro-life activists to be 
saving babies directly from abortion uh, that are really more at issue and more likely to come before the Supreme Court in the years to come. Well, the pro-life community is solidly behind Justice Barrett, but just the fact that she adheres to precedent in law raise some red flags. I'm not concerned about Amy Coney Barrett on any level. She has been, I think, the most outspokenly pro-life nominee ever to the Supreme Court, uh, perhaps since Clarence Thomas or maybe Robert Bork even. I mean, so often we've seen uh, men and women who have their sights on a uh, upper court appointment or even a Supreme Court appointment decide never to speak publicly about abortion, so there's nothing on the record for them to be challenged on. Amy Coney Barrett wasn't one of those. She uh, signed her name to statements against abortion. She spoke at pro-life events. She was very clearly a pro-life person. Now, does that mean that she's ready to kind of, in a sense, impose that view on the rest of the country without any kind of judicial framework or, or rational constitutional argument? Of course not. She's a constitutional originalist. So if she ever lends her vote to uh, a ruling in favor of a, of a pro-life measure or against a pro-abortion measure, or even is a, a vote to overturn Roe versus Wade, that's going to be on the basis of a solid foundation in constitutional law, an understanding of justice and what it means, not her own whimsy. Of course, appellate judges are required to follow and apply precedent. That's their job. Supreme Court justices are in a somewhat different position because they do have the authority to revisit past decisions, but they don't do that whimsically. They do that in accordance with uh, Supreme Court traditions and, and also in applying the law to specific cases. Uh, if a ruling is ever overturned, that's because there was a case that challenged some of the logic of that original ruling in a way that was compelling to the justices. So we shouldn't be concerned about uh, anything that Amy Coney Barrett has said about precedent or super precedent or any of these sort of um, you know terms that are thrown about, let's trust this woman to be the excellent jurist that she has always proven to be. Is it your hope that the Chicago Bubble Zone case will make it to the Supreme Court? Well, unfortunately, the Chicago Bubble Zone case was denied certiorari. That means the Supreme Court refused to take it back in July. Uh, we had gone back up to the to the Supreme Court with this. We had a ruling from the appellate court written by uh, Diane Sykes that was essentially begging the Supreme Court to take the case and resolve a contradiction in the law between the Hill case that allows bubble zones back in 2000 and uh, the Gilbert Sign case and the McCollum v. Coakley buffer zone case. These are all in contradiction with each other and the court needs to resolve that issue. They declined to do it, but in a very rare move, Justice Thomas noted in that denial that he would have taken the case. You almost never see that. They deny hundreds of cases every week, and you almost never see a note like that. Well, Justice Thomas would have taken it. We know Amy Coney Barrett would have taken it because she was on that case at the appellate level and intrigued by it. So that case may not really have any uh, further hope. We are still looking at that with the attorneys. You know, what options do we have? Uh, but there are going to be other cases. There are going to be other challenges to bubble zone laws around the country. We hope that one of those will ultimately arrive at the Supreme Court and see our full rights restored outside abortion facilities. While the Supreme Court could overturn Roe, they would send it back to the states. Yeah, if, if Roe versus Wade is ever overturned, that doesn't mean that suddenly abortion is outlawed in the United States. In fact, that's uh, something we're very sadly aware of here in Illinois, where we have one of the most liberal abortion laws in the entire nation. The Reproductive Health Act in Illinois was designed specifically to make Illinois be sort of safe, as you will, as you will for abortion. So we're going to see abortion incre even increase in places like New York, California, Illinois, and other states that have these very liberal abortion laws. 
Other states may attempt to restrict abortion more. I think the idea that states will immediately rush to ban abortion is a little overstated. It's quite easy for a, a Georgia legislature, for example, to pass a heartbeat bill that they know will never be enforced. They're never going to have to brief the state police on how to uh, enforce that, that law. Or a, Alabama with their near-total abortion ban. Laws like that that will immediately be enjoined by the courts under Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey are, are sort of easier for these states to pass. Will they have the, you know, the kind of stomach to pass these more restrictive laws once they would actually have to enforce them? That's another question. We'd expect to see, too, the battle against those measures to be increased when the stakes are so high. It's impossible to look through a crystal ball and see what the world will be like after Roe v. Wade. But certainly for the pro-life activist movement, uh, we will continue to do what we've always done, which is to educate the public, reach out to women who are considering abortion, including outside the abortion facilities, and to, to be a voice for the voiceless unborn in every sphere where we can. We would be excited to bring that battle state by state to uh, the effort to restore legal protection to unborn children, but it is going to be a very long and very difficult battle that it's extremely impossible to predict the outcome of at this point. Eric Scheidler, our guest here on Illinois Family Spotlight. Let's hope her kindness is contagious. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. People Magazine's recent kindness issue told the story of Grey's Anatomy star Katerina Scorzone and her three-year-old daughter Pippa. Pippa has Down syndrome. All I knew about Down syndrome, Scorzone admits, was that people were afraid of it, so I figured I should be too. Instead, her world and her perspective has been, and I quote, infused and alchemized by a deep and unexpected kindness. See, Pippa's worth isn't tied to what she can or cannot do or what she looks like, but in who she is, a human being. What Scorzone is describing is the dignity that belongs to each and every human being because we are created in the image and likeness of God, the God who loves his creation. If some have their way, people like Pippa would be rendered extinct through prenatal testing, abortion, and fetal reductions. The loss would be great indeed, and as Scorzone has realized, the world would be less kind. The Colson Center. I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larry here, along with Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Chicago-based Pro-Life Action League. Eric, before we start talking about the election, let's talk about the pandemic. How's it impacted the work of the league, and how are you folks adjusting? Well, the pandemic, um, you know, threw us for a loop like everybody else. You know, all of a sudden, we're being told to stay in our homes. We're being told that essential services only are, are to be accessible during that time. And we were immediately horrified to see that abortion facilities in Illinois and other states were included on that list of so-called essential services. And so we continued our pro-life outreach. Uh, one of the first things we did was to reach out to our you know, the leaders that we work with across the country. We've got hundreds of pro-life activists in cities and towns and of large and small across the country that we collaborate with over the course of any given year. We reached out to them and held a conference call to uh, advise them about how they can safely continue to do that most essential of all pro-life activities, sidewalk counseling. Uh, we had a legal expert, uh, Peter Breen from the Thomas More Society, come on to talk about our, our rights to do this, and we talked about safety measures we can take, 
to ensure that um, we can legally do this as well as safely do that and, and also maintain the kind of confidence of the people that we're reaching out to that uh, they can safely stop and talk to us. So that was our, our first move, guidelines for continuing our pro-life outreach even during COVID times because the abortionists were. One of our most in, more interesting kind of encounters with COVID was when Planned Parenthood of Illinois opened a massive abortion facility up in Waukegan, which was, as usual, built under cover of darkness. But we decided to hold a protest out there shortly after news broke that the facility was opening up in Waukegan. I was there, big turnout. We thought, well, just maybe we'll have 200 people. Let's be prepared for that. Let's be wildly optimistic. We ended up with 400 people coming out. We especially had a very large contingent of the, uh, the local Hispanic population and black population come out because this abortion facility is going to be directly targeting minorities up in Waukegan, a very minority community. So that was um, a real victory, I think. And we asked people to come out and, and wear masks during the, the rally. This was early in the days of mask wearing and was unclear exactly what mask effectiveness was. I don't know that I would ask people to do that again, but we felt for PR reasons and, and just to, uh, to make sure that everyone felt like they could come out and be safe when we were all so concerned. We asked people to mask up. We um, socially distanced. So that was a, an interesting challenge and a tremendous success. I was terribly pleased. And it really uh, showed to us that um, pro-lifers are willing to get out there and, and do activism even in the midst of a pandemic. During our Face the Truth tour, where we take abortion victim photos out into the public square, we weren't sure what to expect. But we wound up having our best turnout in years. It was amazing. We had the largest number of new people showing up for Face the Truth tour sites as we've ever had. And it was a tremendous success. Very, very encouraging. Fast forwarding to uh, September, where we held our nationwide National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children. Again, we were surprised to see so much willingness on the part of our local leaders to get out and uh, and do these memorial services. And, and so we've been encouraged by the fact that pro-lifers have have recognized that COVID is not the only attack on human life in the world today. Abortion remains the most violent channel of human destruction in our society, and pro-life activists have been willing to, uh, to push back against that, uh, even in the midst of the pandemic. Still stepping up during the pandemic. Eric, as we record this interview, we still don't know the outcome of the election, but we do know that Planned Parenthood endorsed the so-called FAIR tax amendment opponents call it the tax hike amendment. Why did Planned Parenthood endorse that? For probably a couple of different reasons. And Planned Parenthood is always going to jump on board any cause that they see as progressive. So whether that's, you know, you know, transgenderism or whether it's this particular tax issue, they, they kind of see themselves as team players and they want to be seen as right at the center of the progressive movement. And that probably explains some of their support for that measure. Another is, is that they are major beneficiaries of taxpayer dollars in the state of Illinois. And so, of course, they want to see taxes rise. They want to see more money in those coffers available for them. In some ways, as a pro-lifer, knowing that Planned Parenthood is behind a measure is just about enough for me to be opposed to it. So um, not really my area, but uh, if Planned Parenthood is for it, that's often for me enough to know I should be opposed to it. Yeah, there you go. The outcome of the election could determine if pro-abortionists are successful in their efforts to repeal the Hyde Amendment, which bans most taxpayer funding of abortion. What else from your pro-life perspective is at risk? Well, of course, one of the main things we look at is the courts, and I don't just mean the Supreme Court. There's also all of those district court appointments and all those appellate court appointments that are so important. 
And the Trump administration has transformed our courts. They've created a much more friendly environment for conservative causes in general, but especially life issues, issues related to the integrity of the family and, of course, the sanctity of life in the womb, the, the, the fate of our unborn brothers and sisters before the law. And so that's uh, one of my major concerns, is that a Biden-Harris administration will be able to undo some of the great good that's been done in terms of transforming the courts by the Trump administration. I would expect a Biden administration to immediately uh, reinstate Planned Parenthood's Title X funding that we fought so hard to, to strip. Uh, really, that battle goes back to the Reagan administration, finally implemented under President Trump, stripping Planned Parenthood of 60 to $80 million of taxpayer funding every year. Certainly not the lion's share of their money, which they still get, but a significant cut that has resulted in several Planned Parenthood facilities across the country shutting down, which is a very good result. In addition, they don't have access to those clients who are seeking family planning services to uh, you know, publish and pitch abortion to them. So that's a good result. We, we would expect a Biden-Harris administration to immediately reinstate that money, reinstate federal dollars going internationally for abortion. Perhaps most concernedly is the um, attempt to repeal the Hyde Amendment, which has saved at least two million human beings from death by abortion by preventing taxpayer funding from fueling the whole abortion industry. We know that when uh, tax dollars pay for abortion, abortion rates go up, and they go up significantly. Uh, that would be perhaps my, my biggest concern, as you stated. The Hyde Amendment is one that, uh, in, until practically yesterday, yeah, even Joe Biden was in favor of. But that's how radical the uh, Democratic abortion party has really become. What's your hope for a second Trump administration? A lot of pro-lifers say that Donald Trump has been our most pro-life president. You talked about the courts, but what else could be on the horizon in terms of the pro-life cause? Well, what we'd like to see is, again, a, a continuing transformation of the courts. That's very important, especially in this day and age when legislatures, and not just federally but at the state level, have just walked away from their responsibility to establish public policy and left it to the executive branch, left it to bureaucrats, left it to the courts uh, to work out the details and, and decide what's right and what's wrong. As long as we're in that uh, unfortunate situation where the legislature is simply not doing its job, anything we can do to transform the courts uh, is going to be helpful. We'd hope to see, for example, Clarence Thomas replaced, because he's getting pretty old, replaced by somebody with the same judicial philosophy. We might even see a Justice Breyer retire. He's still fairly young, though I manage he'd want, he'd want to probably try to hold on for a Democratic administration if it comes to that. So we won't see a whole lot of change at the Supreme Court level, but certainly at the appellate court level and district court level. Another area that uh, is of significant concern in this election is, and I've, I've emphasized this before, is the civil rights of pro-life activists. And I think that's an issue that pro-life people, pro-life voters, you know, who aren't directly involved in the movement tend to overlook. We could see a Biden-Harris administration that comes after us, that like the Obama administration, tries to use the IRS to disrupt our activities or six the FBI on us. You know, our organization was put on an FBI watch list during the Obama administration. It's outrageous. I would expect to see measures like that. And that's very concerning to those of us who are on the front lines trying to simply offer help and compassion and save babies from abortion. So there's a whole host of concerns uh, that I would have over a Biden-Harris administration, in addition to their promise to try to codify Roe versus Wade into federal law. They might try to, to short-circuit the entire Roe v. Wade question by creating a federal abortion law. I think that would be disastrous. I mean, they'd have to do away with the filibuster to do it. Democrats still have firm control of the legislature. 
How concerned are you that they will ramp up their efforts to repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act and maybe push for pro-euthanasia legislation? One of the, strangely, we've, we've seen some occasional silver linings from this whole COVID business, and one of those is that the forces against the sanctity of life down in Springfield have, for the time being, seemed to suspend their efforts to repeal the Parental Notification of Abortion Act of 1995, which, by the way, was not even fully enforced until 2012 because of the nearly two decades of court challenges that were brought against that law. That law has dramatically reduced abortion of minor girls in our state. It saved thousands of lives from abortion since 2012. They want to repeal that, so they're cooking up a whole lot of propaganda. Uh, but that's been sort of scuttled because of the, the pandemic. I'm sure it's on, they haven't forgotten about it, and I'm sure they're going to be back, if not in the veto session, certainly next year, uh, trying once again to repeal that law that's supported by vast majority of, of Illinoisans. But pro-life people kind of need to be active, even during this downtime, to say to their lawmakers, hey, I know you're not working on this now, but here's my concern. Yeah, it's, there's, it's never too early to be reaching out to your state rep, your state senator, and let, making it clear to them that you oppose any type of an effort to repeal that measure, especially if you're a parent of minor daughters, as I am, to say, look, Share, share a picture of your kids with your state rep and say, are you really trying to tell me you want to send my girls into the hands of an abortionist where we see the ambulances showing up all the time, where we see the aftermath of abortion can lead to you know, suicidal ideation, can lead to depression, can lead to physical problems, infertility, hemorrhaging. How unconscionable. Let your representatives know that you absolutely oppose that effort, even if it's been stalled right now. It's never too early to make that, that appeal. Do you think pro-euthanasia legislation will gain any steam this time around? They're going to continue to push for euthanasia. And, you know, sadly, the pandemic has, uh, has illustrated the vulnerability of our elderly. We've got elderly in, in our state and all over the country who are dying alone and miserable because they're not allowed to receive visitors anymore. We've seen that uh, how abandoned the elderly are at the end of life. One of my daughters works at a, at a nursing home. She's heartbroken by what she sees. So we have this population of, of elderly and disabled people that are already being abandoned by our system. And the move for euthanasia would lead to a wholesale slaughter uh, of these innocent, uh, the elderly we, that we should be cherishing and caring for in their final years. So we're very concerned about attacks on the sanctity of life at the other end through euthanasia in our state. And here again, you, you need to be in contact with your lawmakers about this. Absolutely. And, and we, we hope, though, that maybe the heightened attention to the plight of the disabled elderly or the very sick will, will lead to more sympathy and perhaps um, pull the rug a little bit out from under the forces of pro-euthanasia in Illinois. That could be a good result of this sort of renewed focus on the plight of our, of our elderly at the end of life. All right. Thank you so much, Eric Scheidler. Eric, how do folks connect with the Pro-Life Action League? Pro-Life Action League is there to serve you. We want to help you to be more effective in your own personal outreach on behalf of our unborn brothers and sisters. We have a brand new edition of our Sharing the Pro-Life Message Handbook that's just come out. Sixth edition is packed with information. It's got all the latest uh, statistics and data about how abortions are done, how to respond to pro-choice uh, arguments, uh, how to get people help, what's going on with Planned Parenthood, how the law applies to all this. It's an outstanding resource. It's a tiny little handbook you can carry in your pocket. It's just five bucks. You can get that at prolifeaction.org. We have tools for how to be an activist, how to talk to a city council, 
how to talk to your pastor, how to organize a protest, how to do you know something as simple as singing Christmas carols in an abortion facility, or talking to your friends and neighbors on this issue. We are there to serve you. You can find us at prolifeaction.org. We're on Facebook and Twitter and other social media at prolifeaction. Prolifeaction. Look us up and let us know how we can help. We're there to serve you. All right. Thank you so much. Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Chicago-based Pro-Life Action League. Well, please support the work of the Pro-Life Action League and the Illinois Family Institute, as well as Illinois Family Action. Stay strong, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.